on this episode of the Alt Normal. Normal. Political action is a great integration tool, really devoting oneself to the betterment of the world, devoting oneself to reaching out beyond oneself, beyond one's own personal story, to the greater human story, and realizing that in essence, well, again, let me speak for myself, in essence, I'm not an I, I'm a we. I'm connected to everyone and everything, whether I want to be or not, I am, and I think we all are. Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. Joe Biden will become president of the United States. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future. At the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times. Powerful moment of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The alt-normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies in marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift in how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Chenggu, 
that enable people to live and work from paradise, encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. So today we are so excited to have Charlie Winninger on our show. I'm just going to introduce Charlie real quick. So Charlie Winninger is a psychotherapist in private practice, licensed as a psychoanalyst as well as a mental health counselor. He specializes in relationships and communication skills and has been treating couples and individuals in his Manhattan and Brooklyn offices for over 30 years. He completed his postgraduate training at the Gestalt Associates for Psychotherapy in New York and has continued his professional development the past 12 years at New York's Soma Psyche Institute, where he learns intuition and empathic attunement skills. He has often been featured in the New York Times and Newsdays as the Love Doctor and has appeared several times on TV. For the past 20 years, Charlie has been a member of the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, otherwise known as MAPS, which funds research into the use of MDMA or ecstasy for treating PTSD, social anxiety, and other ailments. He and his wife, Shelly, have been instrumental in building the local MAPS community in New York since 2004. Charlie sits on the board of advisors of the Psychedelic Education and Continuing Care Program at the Center for Optimal Living in New York and speaks there on the topic of psychedelics across the lifespan. Although he doesn't use MDMA in his therapy practice, he continues to benefit from personal experience with this medicine as it informs and improves his performance as a psychotherapist. And also recently, Charlie has published his new book, Listening to Ecstasy, which is a personal narrative and guide to the safe, responsible use of MDMA for personal healing and social transformation. Wow, Charlie, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. After hearing this bio, I'm impressed. I'm like, I got to meet this guy. I got to too. We'll get to meet him today yeah. together. Thanks for having me on, Tiff. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is a pleasure. So to start, Charlie, and we're going to dig so much into your book, but I just want to start with something that caught my eye about one of the videos that you produced. And the title of the video was called MDMA is a Gateway, where you talk about MDMA being this gateway to a new paradigm, which I think is so timely, considering that the entire world has entered a pandemic and has been forced to isolate from one another in a world where loneliness is considered like the number one public health issue um, and, and public health crisis in America. So, you know, in today's culture, I'd love to start by asking you, what paradigm do you see MDMA creating? Like, what is the story of MDMA today? Well, I consider MDMA, Tiffany, to be the chemical of connection. Uh, it helps people connect with themselves, 
with each other and with the best life that they can live at any age. Um, so uh, it's quite relevant for today, especially because we're living in a time of, uh, of, of lockdown for many people and quarantine for many people. And, uh, and the fear that that can uh, produce or exacerbate, and the loneliness and the feeling of separation uh, and alienation. So uh, this is really the medicine of the moment, in my opinion. The medicine of the moment. And even just calling MDMA medicine, I know, is very familiar to people who are in that space of psychedelic science, psychedelic um, therapy, psychedelic just lifestyle. But it is interesting for people who haven't heard about it in this context, which is something that, you know, I'd like to explore with you. And so, you know, shifting into something that we love to talk about on the show, which is this concept of embodied integration. So how we literally apply who we are and what we learn and how we walk in this world into our bodies and to become more of who we really are. And so we, you know, we're particularly curious about what embodied integration looks like in a world that's kind of veered into separation, you know, the separation of the emotional with the intellectual, our personal self and our professional self, um, consensus reality and consciousness, right? You use that word consensus reality, I think somewhere, the masculine with the feminine, um, and in essence, kind of, you know, all the disciplines and emerging narratives that we inhabit. Somehow we haven't fully like embodied all those things quite yet, but I, I see this awakening happening, especially this year. And so as a psychotherapist by background with many alternative leanings, can you just tell us a little bit about you and what your personal intersectionality looks like? Um, you know, and I say this in the context of your journey kind of coming out of the chemical closet. And so you you really, you know, have to do a lot of work to really integrate all these different parts of you to to come out and say, hey, this is who I really am at the core in all of my power, right? Yes, it, it was really a coming out of the closet situation for me uh, because I had uh, internalized a lot of society's messages about MDMA and other drugs, uh, though I do prefer the term medicine. Um, and I bought into some of the shaming and stigmatization uh, of people who use these compounds. Uh, and... Uh, um, shame has been a uh, one of my demons that I've wrestled with all my life. When the '60s counterculture uh, imploded and and um, went its its way, uh, um, and psychedelics really went underground, um, uh, many of us were in our little bunkers or in different parts of of uh, the country and different parts of the world. And uh, we didn't know that the other existed. And we felt alone and um, that we had to uh, do our experimentation in secret and in private. 
and with a feeling like uh, maybe we were out of step with everyone else in the world. So uh, MDMA especially, I mean, I've been a psychonaut, that is one who experiments with psychedelics for the past 50 years. But MDMA has been my medicine of choice for the past 20 years because it has really helped me fall back in love with myself. I say fall back in love because we're born that way. We're born whole. And uh, if we have uh, uh, decent uh, caretakers, uh, uh, we learn to love ourselves uh, very early on. But that, that, of course, can get diverted into uh, a, a darker path for many of us. So uh, MDMA helped me uh, feel reconnected to this childlike, joyful, innocent spirit that still lives in me and I believe lives in everyone and help me integrate this part of me back into my being uh, so that I can I could deal with this demon of shame and basically you know like integrate it which means you don't destroy the demon you transform the demon to uh, become an ally uh, which is an interesting process in itself. Uh, but uh, so I, uh, I've, I've learned to actually cultivate a kind of pride these days about my medicinal use and to uh, integrate it into my, my lifestyle. And of course, the ultimate integration into my life, which is by writing this book and coming out of the closet and, and, uh, saying to the world, this is who I am, because I'm simply too tired of hiding and pretending that I, I, I'm not everything that I am. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the idea of just being who you are can sound so simple, but it can be so hard in reality to practice. Yes, yes. It takes, it takes courage for all of us regardless of whether we use medicines or not or just being who we really are and and embodying to use your word uh uh all all aspects of of who we are and what we believe and what we stand for uh and what we won't stand for uh uh, to to embody all that really takes courage yeah and it can be a lifelong process um, yes but I mean, that can be exciting at the same time because you realize like you you get a message or you you really you feel that transformation locking into your cells, you know, into your body. And you realize, wow, I've touched this experience of whatever you want to call it, truth, higher consciousness, divinity, you know, words that are becoming more mainstream today with scientists, therapists. And, um, you know, once you know that that's there, it's kind of hard to unknow that which is powerful. It's hard to unknow what you know. It's hard to unsee what you've seen or unlearn what you've learned. That's right. Uh, and uh, I've found that this transformation, for me at least, takes two forms. Number one, internal, and number two, external. Internally, with the work that I've done on myself, just in my own therapy, and of course, using medicines like MDMA, and externally by connecting with other people, 
That's why I call it the chemical of connection. And and getting together with other people, it's one thing to to do MDMA for the, one's own growth with a sitter or on one's own. It's quite another thing to do it with a partner. And it's another thing entirely to do it with a group of people, carefully chosen group of people. I have a chapter on this in the book. Uh, uh, to um, to share this experience with them, either in an intentional experience for the day or at a concert <laughs> or, or a rave, uh, uh, an, an all-night experience where uh, you're in a mood of, of celebration and joy. That can be transformational. Yeah, and actually that segues perfectly because I wanted to read an excerpt about you in a Forbes article that was published just weeks before the release of your book. So the excerpt was, since 2001, the Winningers have tried to schedule four to six roles or experiences a year, sometimes just the two of them and other times with a small group of friends, which you just talked about. So in the broadest sense, Charlie says, the purpose is to take their relationship to a deeper place. More specifically, both he and Shelley have been able to work on areas like forgiveness, empathy, and self-confidence, uh, even envisioning future life experiences with one another. And so I really would love, if you'd like, to pull back the curtain and hear from you I mean, of course, we're in pandemic times right now, but before the pandemic hit, can you paint a picture of what that experience looked like being in a group and being able to trust one another and take this medicine and, and what sort of that experience looks like and kind of take us along on a ride um, to, to really see that if you can. <laughs> okay. Well, first, let me say that... I and a few other daring souls have gotten together during the pandemic. Uh, and not now that it's cold here in uh, in New York, but uh, several times, about three times since March, we've gotten together, a carefully chosen group of people. It's our little pod where we all uh, really trust that we've been safe in our in our comings and goings, and uh, we agree on the protocols beforehand that we're wearing masks throughout the experience and keeping distance uh, throughout the experience. Uh, and we go outside. We're in a park, and uh, it's been um, glorious to uh, share this experience during these darkest times, keeping the light burning. And uh, and so before or during the pandemic, because I say, that, you know, there's a where there's a will, there's a way. So even in dark times, you can keep the flame burning. And these experiences are glorious because what we're doing is we're we're sharing the medicine and our our souls with each other for the day. To the outside world in the park, where we just look like. We're having a picnic and having a nice day, but uh, we are sharing. We're becoming really kind of uh, for somebody who has done MDMA. They may know what what I mean by this. You become sort of chemically naked 
you're stripping your defenses, you're still in control. So it's not like an overwhelming, overpowering experience where you're out of control and potentially freaking out. MDMA is a very user-friendly chemical. Uh, So you're still in control, but uh, you're really in a space where, well, I'll speak for myself. I'm really in a space where I want to just share from my soul, share my love, share my heart. Uh, It's a very loving uh, space uh, imbued with a sense of safety. And so we engage in conversations and, and, uh, and sharing our deepest thoughts and, and feelings with each other and just sort of being uh, glorifying in, in, in chemical attunement and, and, and with open hearts for the day uh, with, with people that we, we knew before and now we're getting to know better. And uh, what could be better a better way to spend a day than that? Oh, just hearing you talk about it just makes my heart flutter. <laughs> <laughs> and I know what you mean. Um, so, you know, let's let's talk about your book. First off, congratulations for well, thank you. doing it, Charlie. I remember meeting you when you had that manuscript and you were shopping it around to different publishers. And years later, here you are published your book around the same time, if not the same day as the U.S. election. You can correct me if I'm wrong. No, it's about right. Yeah. And we've got a good publisher, too. Uh, I finally found a publisher that uh, has been around for a long time, and they publish other psychedelic authors and uh, um, in the traditions, Park Street Press. And uh, so um, uh, they've done uh, a good job with the book. Yeah. And I, you know, haven't finished the whole book, but um, I did notice in the beginning you got, um, you know, some reviews by many prominent people in the psychedelic space. And just to quote Rick Doblin, because he's been referenced on the show a few times, and I also see him as a hero and as someone who's really pioneering something that is epic. Um, And he's been at it for like 40 years. So this guy's a legend. And he said in his review to you you know, that this is a true and touching story. Listening to Ecstasy demonstrates how MDMA can be a unique, life-enhancing opportunity for healthy people across their entire adult lifespan. It's filled with great tips for the responsible, recreational, and celebrational use of MDMA and how it can be used to enrich one's spiritual journey during these tumultuous times, you know, and this is a guy who kind of like he plays in the the scientific and, and research space. But it's beautiful to see that, you know, you're telling the story of how it can be this celebrational and recreational medicine um, that can be used in all these other contexts. So just to start this title, I love it. Um, I'd love to hear from you. What does listening to ecstasy mean to you? Hmm. <laughs> well, it means that uh, over the past 20 years, I've had about 70 experiences. And I realized after, uh, after a time that uh, this medicine was really speaking to me. Much as other people might say ayahuasca speaks to them, 
Uh, this is, of course, a different type of medicine, but it was really, it, it was a real school and with a whole curriculum. And one of the things it was teaching me was that play, fun, celebration, joy can in them can in themselves be transformational experiences. And it's slowly over time, not in any one epiphany, but slowly over time, uh, this chemical was transforming me from a worry-oriented, fretful uh, guy who was always worried about something and always fretting about something and always obsessing about something uh, to somebody who really is um i'm lighter now uh and uh i still sometimes uh, uh go down rabbit holes but i'm able to get myself out of them faster because uh, this, this 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 medicine has uh helped transform my chemistry and helped me realize that you know it's saying to me when i listen to ecstasy it's it said to me well, Charlie, you can worry about all these things if you want, and there's always something to worry about in your personal life or the life of the world. But if you really look at your life, how, how, is, how has it turned out? How, how, how much danger have you really been in personally? How, how safe have you really been? And speaking for me, uh, only for me, because this is partly maybe because of my white privilege. It might be because of my male privilege that I was born into. Uh, but when I look at my life, it's been uh, a pretty wonderful ride. Um, it's also partly because I was born in, in America that at a certain time. Um, but it's been uh, a, a terrific ride for me. And I've had my traumas just like everyone else. Uh, I've certainly had my, uh, my challenges uh, and have to de deal with great adversity. Um, but uh, for the most part, I've had a safe and sound existence. And I, I have needed to own that and to realize that and to realize the privilege of it and uh, and and to to celebrate that and to not be so worried and filled with anxiety every time I open the New York Times in the morning. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, you know, going back to Rick Doblin's quote, it's like during these tumultuous times, you know, we, I think we can become more resourced resourced within ourselves. And by having those reflection tools um, accompany, you know, this medicine, but then, you know, like you're a psychotherapist. And what came to mind for me is like, you know, you have in this book and throughout your life laid out how you can use this medicine to really support your transformation. And when you say, you know, over these different experiences, you've been able to you know, enhance your life in different ways or look at problems differently, you know, for someone who doesn't have that same background or the same tools that you have because of your profession, like if someone is dealing with something and they feel called to this medicine, is it important to do 
work with that before you do the medicine? Or is it totally okay to do the medicine and glean insights that you can then work with and integrate later on? Do you have any ideas about that? Great question. Great question. Um, So there's preparation, there's the experience, and then there's the integration of it. So uh, preparation for an experience can take many forms. It can take a form, the form of uh, meditation or a spiritual practice, uh, or your or psychotherapy, uh, and 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 other means of personal uh, self examination and growth and healing, and that can go on for weeks, months, or years before you have a psychedelic experience. All that will help inform the psychedelic experience. And uh, when you have that experience, especially with a substance like MDMA, uh, you will bring who you are and all your growth to it. And if you want an intentional experience where uh, devoted to your healing and growth, it's, it's probably best to do it with a sitter, somebody who's trained, who can sit for you and be there for you and help you face any trauma that you might want to deal with or and just any uh, or the kind of demons that I was talking about uh, and, and help you through that during the experience. But the most important part of any such experience is the integration afterwards because otherwise uh, it's not going to, the benefits aren't going to last. And integration is the key. And then again, uh, you can use uh, uh, psychotherapy as a tool. You can use meditation or other spiritual practice, prayer uh, as tools, uh, and or, or political action is a great integration tool. Really devoting oneself to the betterment of the world, devoting oneself to reaching out beyond oneself, beyond one's own personal story to the greater human story and realizing that in essence, well, again, let me speak for myself. In essence, I'm not an I. I'm a we. I'm connected to everyone and everything, whether I want to be or not. I am, and I think we all are. And so I need to be about making this world a better place. And that's what, uh, uh, that's, I, I believe that's really what I'm here for. And that, I really believe that's what we're all here for. And that's a powerful method of integrating an MDMA or an other psychedelic experience is by reaching out beyond one's personal biography uh, and 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 story and drama and trauma to helping others and helping the world. That's where real transformation can take place. And what an exciting time to be alive, to be at this junction where this medicine is now in phase three trials and it's being studied in the realm of, you know, helping people with PTSD, end of life anxiety, alcoholism, social anxiety. Um, and, you know, as soon as it's uh, approved as a, as a treatment, which I read was, you know, slated for around 2023, maybe even earlier. I mean, that's just going to change the whole game. And it's just really powerful to see that, you know, you've like your whole life's work has been about 
testing and experimenting and really finding that sweet spot of using this where you can really transform yourself with these tools and you know, it's not addictive. It's it's not, you know, there's nothing negative about it if you do it with the correct uh, set and setting, which I think is what you were laying out just now. Correct. Yeah. And, um, you know, I to bring it back to you personally, um, you, you've done this so many times and you've had so many different experiences. But has there been a standout experience for you where you kind of went through the journey that you just laid out, you know, preparing, experiencing the medicine and integrating it and like have that really shift your life in some really profound way that stands out to you amongst all the other times? Can you think of one or whatever comes to mind? It's a good question. Uh, Like I was saying with MDMA, it was not one particular experience. It was the accumulation of uh, of all these experiences, uh, the most profound uh, medicine experience I ever had was not with MDMA. It was with with mushrooms, with psilocybin, uh, where I had an intentional experience about a year to the day after my father died, and wanted it to. I had always used uh, mushrooms for um, for recreational purposes, but I wanted a, an intentional spiritual experience and and indeed I had it I was alone and I had it and I was um, transported and uh, really uh, the medicine was showing me how uh, uh, this life the, the body ends and the personality ends but what's left one's essence is what one came into this world with and what will one will ent- exit with um, the spiritual essence and that death is not something to be feared it's actually a very blissful state so i'm i i, I hope i'm not going off too much off the topic here because now i'm talking about mushrooms but uh, that 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 was a standout experience for me and once 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 i tasted that you know I'm, I, i'm never quite the same one can be never quite the same after after that uh here's another one um speaking of mdma coming back to mdma uh i was at a regional burn uh that is a uh a small offshoot of burning man uh in uh, in in maryland uh, a few years ago about a thousand people together for the weekend and uh, uh, in a space of celebration and, and joy and wild abandoned uh, wild abandonment and dancing all night long and um and they embraced me as an elder which was pretty cool because i was a little self-conscious going going there thinking you know are they going to accept me because they're all like 25 35 years old and mostly um, but they did embrace me and shelly too um and uh the night of the burn the night where we burned an effigy it, it was like wild tribal dancing through the night uh, and such a feeling of unity 
and such a feeling of togetherness where there is no feeling of separation. There is no feeling of us and them, whether me as an older person or me as, as uh, any kind of person. We were all together in, uh, in, in celebration and joy. And I was never quite the same after that. It really helps cement this this feeling that I am not this individual that my ego wants me to believe. I'm really part of a greater whole that my spirit wants me to believe. Yeah. Wow. And as you're talk, as you painted that scene of tribal dancing, you know, I just kept thinking of the word ecstasy, and <laughs> you know, and it's um, it's interesting. This just came to mind, so I'll say it. There was a recent podcast um, between Aubrey Marcus and Zach Bush, who is a physician who, you know, developed a whole career in, you know, studying cancer, studying different um, aspects of medicine. And now he's, you know, doing research into other things. And he's all about, you know, how can we bring the health and healing of wholeness of the earth and you know, share that health and healing and wholeness within ourselves. Like there, there isn't a separation between the two. And he had the question, you know, how can people, how can someone who's not in a healthy state enter a healthy state? Like from, you know, the perspective of medicine or, you know, um, all the things that he studies and talks about. And his answer was ecstasy. Ah, the state of ecstasis. Mm, yeah. And he even said before saying that, I normally don't say this, but I'm going to just say this because this is what's coming to mind. It's ecstasy. It's that elevated emotion where you are so out of your head <laughs> and you are so in your body and that produces chemicals. And when you're amongst other bodies, like that is shared chemical connection. Yes. An embodied transformation. That's it. And I mean, just even talking about it, it just it makes my own frequency go higher and higher because <laughs> it's contagious. Yes. It, it's just like fear and greed and hate are contagious. Ecstasy is contagious. Uh, and joy is contagious. And generosity is contagious. And optimism a very key quality that we all need these days, and that is uh, brought forth by uh, the use of MDMA, at least for me and the people I know, uh, optimism also very contagious. And these qualities make one's life happier and better. And when you're happier, and you're elated like that, and you have more energy to bring out into the world, to bring out into your relationships, and more energy with which to uh, transform the world. Yeah, that's it. And it's it's all available. And I think it's this lifetime practice of remembering that you always have it, and just choosing to activate it because it's there. But, you know, life, man. <laughs> can dim that light. <laughs> I know, it gets in the way, doesn't it? That's right. I know. It's like a candle in the wind sometimes. Yes, That's absolutely. Right. And But uh, you're right. It's, I love what you just said, Tiffany. It's like it's a matter of remembering 
that this is available to us. It's really our birthright as human beings. It really is. And that's, and you know, once you realize that it's your birthright, then you start thinking, wow, I've been oppressing myself and I've been oppressed by other forces that have been teaching me that I am just an individual that needs to be looking out for just number one, you know, just oneself. Uh, uh, oppressive forces that uh, have been teaching me that uh, I'm separate from other people uh, and realizing now I can throw all that off. That's all BS and uh, celebrate my connection to and belonging with other people. That's it. And it actually brings to mind um, this term that I heard um, in a podcast where this former monk who went back like out of the monastery and became a traditional Chinese medicine doctor, he talks about, I forget his name, the crisis of consciousness that we're in, where we seemingly have placed power outside of ourselves and we're looking for answers. We're looking for how how can I be? What should I do? We're looking outside. And it's this fundamental, you can call it a crisis or a disease, where we don't really trust ourselves anymore. We don't trust our bodies. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well said. I like that. Um, it's. Uh, I'm glad you're saying this. I'm glad he was saying this. Uh, it, it's. It's true. And uh, that transformation to realizing that the answers are inside of you and me uh, is is very radical, uh, because it, it turns the whole power structure upside down. Uh, it means that top down power is is nonsense uh and that uh, we are our own best authorities right and even the word authority can have a slight negative twinge to it but actually inner authority is our capacity to actually know that we are fundamentally here because we're here for a reason and there's no one like charlie winninger there's no one like tiffany wen and if we can just dig deep enough and have trust and permission to feel safe in that space and listen for what wants to emerge then maybe we have a better chance at actually fulfilling a mission that's not just good for us but good for the world and our community and our planet because that's just the way nature is designed. It's not designed in scarcity. It's designed in wholeness. And, um, you know, and and hearing you talk about your experience um, receiving the medicine, I actually want to kind of shift into how this has helped you transform your mission and your work as a psychotherapist, as someone who is in service of helping others access their own inner authority, their own highest self, whatever you want to say. So, you know, maybe you can share with us how have all these experiences with ecstasy helped you transform your practice as a psychotherapist and as a guide? Well, um, MDMA opens the heart uh, and uh, elicits feelings of uh, and an experience of empathy with others. And when I'm in the therapy room uh, with, with a couple or an individual, uh, the most important aspect of the therapy I do, more important than any technique I use or modality that I employ, is the quality of my presence. That's the most important aspect 
uh, uh, anyone who's been in therapy would understand what, what I'm talking about. It's the quality of the presence, it's the quality of, of, of the connection between you and the therapist. How real are they? How human are they? How, uh, how much can you trust them? Uh, and how much do they empathize with you? Can they really feel your feelings and have compassion for you? That's what really matters. And that's what's really healing. And so MDMA has helped me uh, imp- improve and enhance my ability for empathy and compassion and to bring that into the therapy space. And and when I can be empathetic and uh, and really listen into and through another human being who's there for, for my guidance, uh, and they feel like I'm really getting them, their defenses tend to soften for the time. And when that happens, then their own inner spirit and, and, and inner wisdom can emerge and they can find themselves finding their own truth because they're not so clenched against uh, whatever they're clenched against uh, out of fear. So I try to create in the therapy room the kind of feeling that I have when I'm on MDMA, the sense of well-being and safety. Yeah, it's that safe space, which, you know, whether it's in a room with you for a session or, you know, in a space where you're doing a medicine that will alter your state of consciousness, I think that that sense of safety is something that you know you feel or you know you don't feel. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing to think about um, in this next question that I want to explore with you because... This past year, there have been so many moments of feeling, maybe all the moments, or maybe not, depending on who you are and, and how you see life and your mindset, but there have been so many moments of feeling unsafe in this world. And before we started recording this, I was telling you that the show was initially ignited because of this anger that I personally felt in response to the murder of um, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and just this racism that just surfaced. Like, it's always been there, but it just came up. We were all stuck at home and had to look at it. And it's not easy for anyone, you know, no matter what color, no matter what culture you belong to. And for me, there was extreme anger and extreme sadness. And, um, you know, when we talk about these themes of empathy and connection and this Uh, this we, not I, you know, I really, it makes me hopeful. One of those elevated emotions you were talking about and optimistic that, you know, with these emerging paradigms, with leaders like you, with conversations like this, there is a possibility to raise this enough where we can actually address some of these really deep-seated issues that are systemic. They're invisible to some people. Some people don't even acknowledge that systemic racism exists. And, you know, you before we're talking about political action can be a means to integrate what you've created inside of you on MDMA. And so I'd love to hear from you, um, and you can riff as much as you want, about, you know, does listening to ecstasy have the capacity to heal 
our world's most pressing and sometimes seemingly impossible problems like racism, um, systemically, like the sort of divisions that exist just because of constructs like race and borders and nation states. Yeah. Well, yes, I, I, I firmly and uh, very much believe that uh, the potential is there simply because uh, chemicals like medicines like MDMA and, and, and psych- other psychedelics temporarily for the time you're high dissolve your ego boundaries help you realize that uh, your old constructs of ways of thinking uh, are questionable and especially the construct of uh, that you're separate from other people and you know I I, I can't imagine what it I had a hard I couldn't watch eight minutes and 52 seconds of horror uh, with George Floyd. I, I couldn't do it. I, I uh, It was too, uh, it was like watching a horror movie. Um, I can't imagine what it's like for a person of color in, 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 in this country or anywhere. Um, and, you know, all it was was showing in plain sight what goes on what's been going on outside of the camera's view for for uh, centuries uh and so um and here it was in in in, in our faces and it just stripped away for me any sense of like uh of, of of like legitimacy of uh the power structure and um and and that that gives gives rise to the uh uh, the, the type of racism that 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 that, that, that has resulted. Um, so, because if if uh, if if there's no real, if we're all really made of the same stuff, if our our, our, our if what we have in common is uh, more important than our differences, uh, and then if what we and if we have more in common than we have differences, then Racism is just a laughable, absurd construct. It's just absurd. Uh, ultimately, um, it's it's. I mean, besides outrageous, it's just absurd. And so, you know, hearkening back to my earlier experiences uh, as a, a '60s counterculture hippie and student radical. Uh, the the medicine that was mostly used at the time was LSD. And I love that we called it acid because it helped us burn, it, it, the acid burned through the constructs in our heads. And we would get high on LSD and uh, and sit around uh, and, and talk with each other and realize like capitalism, the way it was constructed is like it's not it's not only wrong and unjust or racism or sexism or or uh, all these things uh, homophobia all these things were not only uh, wrong or even evil but completely absurd completely ridiculous and that's why there was such a reaction against us and what we did because besides 
us fighting in the streets around it and and demonstrating and and creating a, a whole, almost a revolution we did something that even that was even more scary to the powers the powers that be we laughed at them we realized that they were absurd and just ridiculous that the emperor had no clothes and that really threatened them and so they as i put in the book uh, within a few short years they they put nixon in the white house and tim leary in the jailhouse and uh, psychedelics in the outhouse uh and so it's and it's taken all this time for psychedelics to come back so um so anyway i hope i'm not being too long-winded here and answering your question but um that's what comes to me right now yeah i mean you were alive during you know the civil rights movement so you know you've you've really seen it and um and i mean while we've made progress like we still have systems that don't make sense and prejudices that literally are corrupt and absurd and outrageous to borrow your words because it just doesn't make sense and you know and despite all that you know at least we can start to have these conversations and find, as you say in other um, writing and, and videos, you know, find the tribe that, you know, wants to support each other in not being alone in having these understandings of the world that, you know, aren't working for, for all. Yes. And in 2020, here in New York, I can only speak with, with any sense of, uh, 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 of, uh, of confidence about what what I saw, what I witnessed here in New York. Uh, twice, we had an experience of uh, of busting out of our shells and uh, and with with a sense of unity. And that was first of all with Black Lives Matter uh, and and the demonstrations that burst forth almost overnight. Uh, and people pouring out of their homes with masks on, but uh, outside and and being outraged together. Uh, and all of this happened, of course, all over the country and uh, in different parts of the world as well. Uh, people saying enough is enough. And us having a sense of, wow, there's a lot of us. There's so many of us who feel this way. And I could like, watch this video uh, alone at home and shudder. Uh, but when I turn that sense of horror and outrage into action and join with others on the street, wow, that's a revelation. Boy, there's so many of us. Things are really beginning to change. And the second time I experienced this was four days after the election when, <laughs> excuse me if, <laughs> I was sitting at home and um, we didn't know which way the election was turning and we thought it was turning uh, uh, towards Biden, but it wasn't sure. And all of a sudden, Shelley and I heard banging, clanging, whooping and clapping outside our window. And we opened the window and the whole street was filled with noise and cars were honking and people were, were applauding and screaming. And, and, uh, and I, I, I went on the, uh, my iPad 
and looked at the news and it's and on the times it said biden beats trump and i went outside my whole neighborhood it exploded with spontaneous celebration and joy people just dancing and 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 celebrating together um it was it was such a sense of of triumph and and uh profound relief and 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 joy and it was so heartfelt and and uh and, and we were all hugging each other strangers were hugging and um it was such a profound sense that there's there's an us there's a we and we are together and there's so many of us so many of us and things are changing slowly too slowly but things are changing and there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic as we enter into the new year mm. Crisis always presents opportunity and, um, yeah. And I mean, that, that illustration just says it all that these moments of connection just reinstate what we know to be true. You don't even need to name it. You just know on a visceral embodied level that, okay, something, something is shifting here, even if it's a little too slowly. Um, but something is better than nothing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going in the right direction. Uh, and, you know, it's it's revolution. It's evolution we're talking about. Uh, it's it's a messy process. It's not in a straight line. It takes time, but it's happening. And I like to think of the uh, cocoon, you know, the classic uh, caterpillar to butterfly metaphor, you know, taking biomimicry or, you know, what we see in nature and trying to reflect that back into how we as humanity can also learn from our greatest teacher, which is what created us. And, you know, in the cocoon, some cells are dying off. The cells that supported the caterpillar are dying out. And then in the cocoon, imaginal cells are being created to develop the eventual butterfly. So in that cocoon, you're experiencing death, death of self or parts of self that no longer fit within the evolution that we are experiencing now. And the death of a collective that um, is trying to understand where we stand given the certain level of systems collapse that's happening at all levels of government, economics, um, racial injustice, the list goes on. And in the meantime, it's like, okay, these moments where you feel the growth, even if it's not pleasant, but you feel the shifting, that's the space that's most interesting. And when you can put language around that, that's when you really start to find others who might not have all the perfect language for it, but they're at least trying to work it out and they're trying to push it forth because that's the only way to go. Um, and speaking of kind of community and tribe and just, you know, the connection that MDMA has, um, you know, helped us understand and clarify, I want to talk a little bit about MAPS because you've been such an instrumental part of this community since, what, 2004? Um, and, you know, you were there in the early days watching it grow, getting involved. And from where you sit now, um, where do you or what possibilities do you see for the organization and its potential and the people involved in the near future? Well, uh, the metaphor I like to use is that, and this I've heard, I'm not a biologist, but this I've heard, I believe it's true, 
that often in nature, close to where the poison grows, grows the antidote. And so we were just talking about the poisons in this society. The antidote, one of the antidotes, uh, is psychedelics because they help us become aware of the poison and how to combat it. And so MAPS has been instrumental uh, with their efforts to fund the research and open the gates that were shuttered to, uh, uh, to, to research on a federal level uh, of these compounds for various, uh, to, to fight various maladies. And as you mentioned, uh, 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 the, the biggest, uh, most important studies are with MDMA to fight, uh, to, to combat uh, PTSD. Uh, they've been giving it to soldiers uh, from uh, who were traumatized by the war in Iraq and also victims of sexual violence. And uh, what they've discovered is that uh, they'll have a few like I was saying, it's uh, preparation and then the experience and then the integration, but a few preparatory sober sessions with therapists and then a session or two with MDMA. Uh, actually, it's a session, it's two or three sessions with MDMA spliced between other sober therapy sessions to integrate the experience. And at the end of this process, these people who had been sometimes suicidal, sometimes just horribly, horribly depressed, um, ruining their lives and, and the lives of the people, of the, their families. These people no longer meet the criteria for PTSD. They're healed. And it's, it's miraculous and extraordinary. And it's also interestingly enough, uh, politically irresistible because those who might want to shut this research down because they're freaked out about MDMA or psychedelics, they can't and they won't because this is curing veterans who are not only, you know, who are who fought for, 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 for this country um, and who are suffering terribly and are killing themselves at the rate of 22 a day in this country. 22 veterans a day kill themselves, mostly because of PTSD and, uh, and, and the ramifications of PTSD. So this medicine is healing them. Uh, no one's going to argue with that. So it's opening all kinds of doors and opening all kinds of minds. And when this becomes legal uh, uh, as a prescription medication, about 2023, uh, then what's left of the uh, illegitimate uh, sense of, uh, of MDMA, uh, the stigmatization, that's all going to fall away. And, uh, and and the demand is going to be extraordinary because people are going to see that uh, it's not only for healing trauma, it's really for the betterment of, of, of well people too. And it's really for, uh, it can be used for uh, the purposes that we were talking about as well. Um, so this is transformational. Uh, and it comes at a time when we need it the most, when... We have all these poisons to deal with, and 
this is this, this is one of the antidotes. And it's beautiful because it also illustrates the power of integrating science with the spiritual because here is this compound, but pairing it with this experience of preparation, experience, integration to create that set and setting, which involves some of these spiritual components of meditation, prayer, reflection, being in touch with yourself, that alchemy alchemy? Yeah, that alchemy of compound and this process create that experience that allows for the healing. You can't have one without the other. And um, just for funsies, I usually like to ask people, you know, given your craft, given your passion, um, you know, given your process uh, and this book, who would you like to share an MDA, MDMA experience with in the world, whether it's an organization, a group of people, a culture, like anyone, if you could just go nuts and just be like, I would like to gift an MDMA experience to the Republican members of the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. I believe in this medicine. And um, if I could get them together with the right mindset and the right setting, uh, and uh, which would be highly unlikely uh, in, in today's world, but maybe if uh, I swore to them up and down that I would keep it a, a secret meeting, um, uh, I, could, uh, I could help change some minds and help shift things. So that's the first group that comes to mind. <laughs> that's great. Uh, so, uh, but uh, uh, I would also want to give it to uh, people in marginalized communities. Uh, actually, I wouldn't be the one to give it to them. I think somebody, a member of that community should be the person who leads that kind of experience. Uh, but people in marginalized communities who may look askance at MDMA or other psychedelics because they lump it in with other drugs and sometimes uh, bad drugs have helped destroy some of these communities. So they might understandably be wary of, uh, of anything uh, like this. Um, but of course, the, uh, the potential for, for healing marginalized communities is, is, is huge. Yeah, actually, um, I don't know him personally, but I would love to ha have him on the show at some point. Are you familiar with the psychotherapist and trauma specialist Resma Menicum? Oh, man, Charlie, he's um, he was on a podcast that like really kind of blew him up. And he wrote this book called My Grandmother's Hands, um, which is all about how to land white supremacy, systemic racism in the body, to understand from a body-centered perspective how we can all metabolize um, metabolize the trauma that we've all inherited through uh, racial injustice, you know, over centuries, and, and, and how by being in the body, we can then release it. So he has that, you know, Bessel van der Kolk, you know, body keeps the score training and you know let's see maybe maybe we can make this happen yes it, it has to happen 
And you're right, you know, being able to empower people who have that trust with their communities, but give them the tools to really, you know, um, be the megaphone and that uh, leader um, and administer that healing that way. I think that's a really beautiful vision. And sort of winding down here, and I want to set this up differently than I normally do. I like to ask people at the end of the show to share a message or a question that our audience can reflect on beyond this conversation. And I'd like to sort of add in a layer to see if this might shape it a little bit. So um, in your book, in the beginning, you kind of outline the intentions that you had for writing this book. And you kind of mentioned this in the beginning, but I want to read a part. So... Um, yeah, you, you wrote, to declare myself done with hiding in the chemical, chemical closet for fear of being shamed or stigmatized and to help others do the same because I know there are so many of us hiding the difference between the face I show the world and who I really am has simply become too burdensome for me. Um, I've heard some say in relation to my drug use, aren't you a little old for that? This made me consider whether I should at this age be concerned about how others might judge me. If anything, I'm too old for that. If anything, I'm too old for that. Right. I'm too old for that. I'm too old for that. Right? I'm too old to hide. I'm too old for That's that right. shit. Yeah. And so anyways, like you, you are an elder in this community and you've been a pioneer in so many ways. So I feel like there's probably infinite messages or questions to impart on, you know, the rest of the community and those of us who, you know, want to live a life where we can be pioneers or to stand up for something we believe in, even if it's going against the status quo. So, yeah, as a respected elder of many different worlds, what is something that you can share with us that we can ponder on beyond this episode? I'll probably need a day or two to come up with a, a, a really good one um, because it's a, it's a profound question that you're asking. Um, but what, what just occurs to me off the top of my head, Tiffany, is um, my message is, and this is from my own personal experience and lifetime, is that uh, it's all working out. And we need to believe it's all working out and to be optimistic because optimism, just like pessimism, tends to be self-fulfilling. And if you're optimistic, you will tend to act in ways that will increase the reasons in the world to be optimistic, that will result in good things happening. It's all working out. Uh, I've seen it in my lifetime. We are evolving slowly, painfully slowly, but we are evolving. The world is becoming a better place. We are waking up. And you and I are important parts of this. Uh, and anyone who's listening, you're an important part of this awakening. We really can't do it without you. We really need you. All of us, we need all of us. Every one of us is all we need, to quote the Beatles. And uh, it, 
and, and, and all we need is love. <laughs> and um, uh, and it's, you know, it might sound like a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. And, uh, and there's so many of us and the world is changing and we're changing it. And it's happening now. Uh, and the future is really, it's right here. It's right here, right now. It's alive inside your heart and my heart. We all want the same things. We all want love for ourselves and for each other. We all really want justice in our hearts. We all really want uh, peace. Uh, and um, it might mean going through some some changes and giving up some 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 privileges and it might mean uh, practicing radical generosity and and uh, and practicing gratitude as as a, as a spiritual practice, but it's all within our reach right now. The simplest messages are always the most powerful because, I mean, who can't relate to that, right? It works out, you know. However bad it gets, just take a breath ground, look around and be like, oh, I'm alive. I have a heartbeat. I'm living in this time, not the 16th century, not in, you know, 3,100. I'm here and I'm alive now in 2020. And what I do and how I live can make a difference for, for today and for tomorrow. That's it. And, and does make a difference. And, uh, and we are making a difference. The wise words of Charlie Winninger. <laughs> oh, man, so much goodness, so much wisdom. And, you know, this is just the beginning, too. And I, I feel so honored to be in your presence and to be in your company on this journey. Oh, thank you. Yes, Charlie. Even though we're thousands of miles apart you know, came back together at this time to have this conversation. And yeah, we're not apart at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. just so grateful to, yeah, just to witness your journey and to just know that, um, yeah, we're not alone and everything works out. So thank you so much, Charlie. Thank you so much for this uh, opportunity. Yes, thank you. I really appreciate it very much. Uh, it's been and, and thank you for telling me about this uh, this author and uh, my grandmother's hands. It's, it's, uh, this this book it sounds wonderful. I like to help people envision at the end if there's any way that I also can support and make connections because um, again, I'm also trying to find the tribe in 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 my own way through this platform and uh, the right people who want to speak at this time will will rise. So I trust in that. And I also know that guests on the show have connections. And so I'm keeping my little third eye signal out for that. Good. Good. <laughs> I'll see who I could send you away. Yes, yeah. please. Okay. And um, just to close out the show, um, for everyone listening, thank you so much for being here, for being present, for being curious. And um, if you feel shifted, uplifted, or moved in any way, as do I, um, please, yeah, show us the love. Please subscribe, share, review our show. We just want to amplify these stories far and wide. So thank you, and we will see you next week.
be alt normal. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of dig, seed, grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.